This is Case Closed, crime stories from the golden age of radio. This is Case Closed, back with another 60 minutes of old-time radio crime. Begin this week with Dragnet. We'll hear their episode from April 20th, 1950, titled The Big Trial. After that, it's Nick Carter, Master Detective, and the case of the Jeweled Queen. That episode aired November 30th, 1947. The story you are about to hear is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent. Fatima Cigarettes, best of all long cigarettes, brings you Dragnet. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned to accident investigation, felony detail. In the early hours of the morning, a woman pedestrian is struck down by a hit-and-run driver. Your job, find him. If you want a long cigarette, smoke the best of all long cigarettes. Smoke king-size Fatima. Fatima is the long cigarette which contains the finest Turkish and domestic tobaccos, superbly blended to make Fatima extra mild. And that's why Fatima has a much different, much better flavor and aroma than any other long cigarette. That's why Fatima has more than doubled its smokers coast to coast. So, enjoy Fatima, the best of all long cigarettes. It's wise to smoke extra mild Fatima. It's wise to smoke extra mild Fatima. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles, travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Monday, September 4th. It was hot in Los Angeles. We were working the night watch out of traffic division. My partner's Ben Romero. The boss is Captain Sullivan, Commander AID. My name's Friday. It was 12.45 a.m. when I got to the second floor at 123 South Figueroa Street. Accident investigation. The record bureau. Hi, Wanda. Hi. Sergeant Romero, come back with you. I got a phone message for him. So he's over at George's Street. He'll be back in a couple of minutes. You got time to take a 15-7? Sure. I got some additional information on a hit-and-run felony. All right. Pretty warm up here, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Coffee over there if you want it. No, no thanks. All right, officer's memo. Subject? Investigation of hit-run felony. DR number 467923. Three. Location, 7th and Carondelet Streets. It's C-A-R-O-N-D-E-L-E-T. Mm-hmm. September 3rd, 11.15 p.m. Division reporting, AID. Division of occurrence? Central. Hmm? Central. Date and time occurred, September 3rd, 11.15 p.m. Location of occurrence, 7th and Carondelet. Just going to run long, Sergeant? Oh, page, page and a half. Mm. Go faster in shorthand. I can transcribe it later. All right. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, this is for Captain H.W. Sullivan, commanding AID. Mm-hmm. Sir, on the above date at 11.20 p.m., the undersigned officers went to the corner of 7th and Carondelet Streets in response to an ambulance follow-up traffic. Mm-hmm. On our arrival there... You got any matches, Wanda? Yeah, here you go. Okay, thanks. Uh, on our arrival there, we were met by 11T... We witnessed ambulance attendants placing an unconscious woman in an ambulance. Uh, she appeared to be critically injured. The victim was removed to Georgia Street Receiving Hospital. All right. We then interviewed a man who identified himself as Chester J. Crawford, 540 Green Oak Drive. He stated that he was acquainted with the injured woman and that her name was Sheila Gordon, G-O-R-D-O-N, mm-hmm. 7832-1⁄2 7th Street. Mm-hmm. Uh, Crawford told us that he was taking her home from a dance and they arrived at the intersection of 7th and Carondelet Streets at approximately 11.15 p.m. 11.15. Okay? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Crawford further stated that uh, while he and Sheila Gordon attempted to cross the intersection, an automobile headed west on 7th Street went through the red traffic light. Right. Did you read that last part, Meg? Uh, attempted to cross the intersection. An automobile headed west on 7th Street went through the red yeah, traffic light. Okay. Crawford told us that he jumped out of the path of the car and tried to pull Miss Gordon with him. He said that the car struck her down without slowing down, continued out 7th Street and disappeared. Well, wait a minute. Oh, I'm sorry. And disappeared. Okay. Uh, Crawford stated the hit-and-run car was either a Dodge or a Plymouth, that it could have been either last year's model or this year's. He described the car... Is too fast for you? That's all right. He described the car as either light blue in color or bluish green. Said that he failed to get the entire license number, but that the last three numbers on the rear plate were either 804 or 304. 804 or 304. That's right. Okay. Uh, Crawford said he made an attempt to follow the hit-run car, but that he was unable to obtain transportation. Stated he then ran to a phone at the Corsev Bar and Grill. Spell that. What? Corsev. C O R S E V. That's at Seventh and Carondelet, mm-hmm. and called the police. And the undersigned officers then obtained Crawford's full name, address, phone number, and proceeded to question residents in the neighborhood, and right. weren't able to locate any other witnesses besides Crawford. Okay. Hi. How'd you do? Oh, so that's about all. Doctor says we won't be able to talk to her for at least a couple of days, maybe not at all. What's your chances? Fifty-fifty if she's heavy on luck. Three broken ribs, brain concussion, internal injuries. What Lee Jones had to say. Uh, is that all the report, Sergeant? Oh, yeah, Wanda. We'll have the rest for you a little later. Thank okay. you. Okay. I'll type this much up as soon as I can. Thanks. Sure. Uh, what did Lee Jones have to say? Nothing. He and Finkley went over the area for an hour. No broken glass from headlights at the P.I. No tire impressions worth anything. No physical evidence. Where does it leave us? With a half-dead girl and no suspects. What do you think, Joe? I don't know. It's a sour one. Any kickback on the teletype yet? No. That guy she was with, Crawford, not too much help. Looked a little nearsighted to me. He saw well enough to get out of the way of that car. You got the notes. Uh, how much to give us? Let me see. I got it here in the book. The uh, car was either a Dodge or a Plymouth, late model. Color, either light blue or blue-green. And the last three numbers on the license plate were 804 or 304. It's a big field to pick from. That's the only lead we own. You can call it that, yeah. 
Well, I guess we better talk to DMV, get the dope on all cars fitting that description that Crawford gave us. It's going to be a hard trip. At least 3,000 cars to track down. Probably closer to four. What do we do for help? We can ask the captain in the morning. I'll get him. Brackett Bureau Romero. Yeah, we'll bring him right over. Yeah, bye. It's Lee Jones again. Yeah. Says he wants the clothes Sheila Gordon was wearing at the time of the accident. He figures when she got hit, her clothes must have left fabric marks on the front of the car. Mm, it might work. There's only one trouble. What's that? You can paint off fabric marks. Well, it's a long list. Let's take it from the top. Yeah. Find the car. Tuesday, September the 5th. We called Mark Benson at DMV and asked for full information on all vehicles fitting the general description of the hit-run car. We went back and talked to the only witness to the hit-and-run, the victim's boyfriend, Chester Crawford. He could add nothing to what he had already told us. There was no response to the local teletype and the all-points that were sent out the night before. Garages, auto repair, and paint shops throughout the city were also alerted. Meantime, at General Hospital, the victim, Sheila Gordon, was still close to death. The search for the hit-run car went on. Two days passed. Thursday, September 7th, the information we requested from DMV was being checked out and compiled. Ben and I met with Captain Sullivan. That's the last of them, Skipper. All the cars in this area that fit the general description of the one we're after. You just get it? Yeah. How many cars did they list? 4,620. You more than you expected, eh? Yeah. No chance at all of narrowing it down? None that we can see, no. Terrific order. Well, we tried to figure it from every angle. Now, we can do it two ways. Yeah? We keep the alert on for the hit-run car around the divisions, all the garages in town, the auto repair shops. In other words, we can wait it out. Maybe we'll get the guy, maybe not. Yeah? Or we can check out every one of the cars on this list and the registered owners. Well, the first way isn't going to do the job. We know that. 4,600 cars. How much help will you need? About 30, 40 men. How long? A couple of weeks, maybe more. All right. I think I can get them from Metro Division. When do you want to start? First thing tomorrow. Okay, I'll set it up. All right, Skipper. Thank you. Excuse me, Joe. There's a lady out here to see you. Okay, thanks. Uh, we'll check you in the morning, Skipper. All right. That's her over there. Thank you. My name's Friday, ma'am. This is Sergeant Romero. How do you do? I'm Dora Lytell, Sergeant. I'm Sheila Gordon's landlady, the girl in the accident. Yes, ma'am. Well, Mr. Crawford, he was with Sheila that night. He told me about you, and he said he thought you might be able to help. How do you mean? Well, it's a long story. See, when Sheila Gordon first came to live at my rooming house, she was a good girl like the rest. Lately, well, I've been sick now and all, I don't like to say it. Yeah? Well, frankly, last few months before the accident, Sheila just went bad, went bad completely. I don't think I follow you, ma'am. Oh, you know, carousing, all kinds of men, visitors, had a different man in her apartment every night. Well, we're investigating a hit-run case, ma'am. Sheila gets out of the hospital. We could talk about it when she's sick like this, but when she's all right, I don't want her back in my rooming house. I'm afraid that's none of our business either, ma'am. But if you could talk to Sheila, persuade her to move from my house, I don't want any wrangle with the rental board again. Couldn't you talk to her? I'm sorry, there's nothing we can do, ma'am. You better talk to her yourself. It'll just be another row like the last time, shameless woman. I don't want Sheila Gordon back in my house. I'll go to that hospital myself and tell her. She's a pretty sick girl. It's not my fault. Go right over to that hospital and tell her what I think of her. She's hurt pretty bad. So am I. She's hurt me. What's the difference? You haven't been run over by a car. Next morning, Sergeants Reed and McLennan, Ben and myself, joined the 40 men from Metropolitan Division who had started checking out the first of the 4,620 suspected cars. The detail was broken down into teams, and each team was handed a list containing the names of 100 registered car owners. It was a long job and a dull one. Dozens of people weren't at home when we called. We had to rig up a system of checkbacks for each one of these. 
Some cars had changed hands two and three times. That meant more checking. By the end of the second week, we'd gone through more than half of the 4,600 names on the list. By the end of the fourth week, we had less than 1,000 to go. At the general hospital, the victim, Sheila Gordon, was pronounced out of danger and recovering. We questioned her, but all she could tell us was that she thought the hit-and-run car was a dark color. The search went on. Monday, October 6th, Ben and I spent a 10-hour day checking a list of car owners south of town. It was 6.35 p.m. when we got back to the office. Hi. Hi, Reed. How'd you do today? Fair. Looks like we got one. What do you mean? Guy's name is Ralph Angelo. Yeah, let's see. Uh, 8690 Backerley Road. Checked him out early this morning. First call. What'd you get? One's a late model Plymouth, light blue. License number, there it is, uh, 17Arthur2804. Wasn't home. Talked to his wife. Yeah? She said the car's been sitting home in the garage for the past month. Husband won't drive it. What's the story? Told her there was something wrong with it. He was going to trade it in. If Len and I tried it, car's in first class shape. What about the front end of the car? Pretty clean. One of the bars in the radiator grill slightly bent. Soft crease on the hood, another one in the right fender. Did you bring the car in? Yeah. Crown and I have been working on it since lunch down the garage. Anything else? I uh, found a gas receipt in the glove compartment dated September 3rd, night of the accident. Where's Angelo now? Santa Barbara, business trip. Due home tonight about 10. Look, Glenn and I will pick him up then. See what he's got to say. That sounds good. How many possibilities does that make, Joe? Well, let me see. Out of 3,700 we've checked, about four good ones. I'll get that. Accident investigation, Friday. Hi, Joe. This is Lee Jones. Yeah, Lee. Just finished checking the Plymouth Reed McLennan brought in. Did you find anything? Fabric prints on front bumper on the hood. Huh? Indentation of soft object on hood and right front fender. Something else on that fender. What's that? Set of lip impressions. What's it mean? We found the car, only one job left. Yeah? Find the driver. You are listening to Dragnet, the case history of a police investigation presented in the public interest by Fatima Cigarettes. If you smoke a long cigarette, it will be in your interest to listen to a typical case history of a Fatima smoker. It's the case of attorney R. Michael Charters, member of the New York Bar, and this is his actual signed statement. Lawyers are always working against time. Long hours mean smoking more, and that's why I prefer extra mild Fatima's. I recommend them to anyone who likes a king-size cigarette. In my opinion, it's wise to smoke extra mild Fatima. And more and more smokers are discovering this every day. Actual figures show Fatima has more than doubled its smokers coast to coast. So enjoy Fatima yourself. The long cigarette which contains the finest Turkish and domestic tobaccos superbly blended to make it extra mild. You will prefer Fatima's much different... Much better flavor. You will agree. It's wise to smoke extra mild Fatima. It's wise to smoke extra mild Fatima. The best of all long cigarettes. Monday, October 6th, 10 p.m. Suspect Ralph Angelo was picked up at his home by investigating officers and brought downtown to the interrogation room. Sergeants Reed and McLennan, Ben and myself questioned him for three hours. At 1.30 a.m., we took Angelo to the county jail where he was booked on suspicion of 501 vehicle code. Hit and run felony. The next morning, we obtained a warrant from the district attorney's office, and later that day, Ralph Angelo was arraigned in Municipal Court Division 7. The date was set for his preliminary hearing in Municipal Court. Sheila Gordon recovered from her injuries and was released from the general hospital. 
On October 10th, the preliminary hearing was held. Sheila Gordon was on the stand most of the morning. After the noon recess, I was called to testify. Raise your right hand. Tell me, swear the testimony about the offending in this case be the truth, whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God. I do. State your name. Joe Friday. Be seated. State your name, please. Joe Friday. Your address? 4656 Collis Avenue. Your occupation? I'm a police officer in and for the city of Los Angeles. Are uh, you one of the investigating officers assigned to this case? I am. Did you have a conversation with the defendant regarding this case? I did. Where? In the traffic division at 123 South Figueroa Street. Who's present? The defendant, Sergeants McLennan, Reed, Romero, and myself. Were the statements made by the defendant free and voluntary? They were. Were there any promise of immunity or reward or the use of force or violence to induce him to make the statement? No, there was not. You tell the court the extent of the conversation at that time. Well, first of all, I asked him if he was the registered owner of a 1948 Plymouth automobile, California license number 17 Arthur 2804. He admitted that he was. And then I asked him if he was driving that car on the night of September 3rd. He said he was, but that he did not drive anywhere near the location of the hit-and-run felony that night at 7th and Carondelet Street. Did the defendant tell you where he drove his car that night? No, sir. You asked the defendant where he drove his car that night of September 3rd? Yes, I did. And what did he answer? Well, he said, it's none of your business. Did you persist in this line of question? Yes, I did. Defendant continued to refuse to give you the information? That's right. Uh, did the defendant state where he was on the night of September 3rd, between 10 p.m. and midnight? He refused to tell us. Did you advise the defendant at that time that his car had been impounded for investigation? That's right. Did you advise him that several points of incriminating evidence had been found in the car? Yes, we did. And what did he say in answer? Well, he said, you can't prove a thing. I wasn't near the place. You can't prove a thing. Uh, was that the extent of the conversation between you and the defendant? It was. Thank you, that's all. Counsel for defense? No questions, Your Honor. Uh, Leland Jones, come to stand. <coughs> Raise your right hand. Some may swear the testimony about the gift pending in this case be the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so I'll be gone. I do. State your name. Lee Jones. Your occupation? I'm a police officer in and for the city of Los Angeles. What particular detail are you assigned to? I'm a lieutenant in charge of the police crime laboratory. Well, uh, counsel for defense stipulate the witnesses as a qualified forensic chemist? So stipulated. Mr. Jones, you are the commander in charge of the police department's scientific investigation division. Is that correct? Yes, yes. Jones, I will show you a photograph of an automobile. <coughs> California license number 1782804 to be marked for People's Exhibit C. Have you ever seen this car before? I have. Where and when did you see it, please? I saw it at the Traffic Division Garage, 123 South Figueroa Street, Monday, October 6th this year. Did you make an examination of this car at that time? I did. What did the examination consist of? And uh, what were your findings? I made a systematic examination of the car using oblique lighting from a 500-watt photo flood lamp and a bell-type reflector. 
I found the following <clears throat> evidence. Oh, excuse me. On the um, front bumper of the car, I found fabric marks consisting of 51 threads to the inch. I then took a perpendicular photograph of those marks with a copy camera. Here is a photograph of that portion of the bumper containing those marks. Now, now, I wish this photograph be marked People's Exhibit D for identification. Let it be so You marked. proceed, please, Mr. Jones. What else did you find in your examination of the defendant's car? I found fabric marks on the cowling of the car, extending back under the hood. These marks were made by fabric having a weave of 38 ribs to the inch. I have here a photograph of those marks. Thank you. I want to ask this photograph to mark People's Exhibit E. So, Mark, what else did you find in your examination of the car, Mr. Jones? I also noted an indentation in the right portion of the car's hood. It had the appearance of having been made by a soft object enclosed in fabric striking the car. Would a human body struck by a car make such an indentation? Yes, it would. Here's a photograph I took of that indentation on the defendant's car. <coughs> I'll ask this photograph of Mark as people's exhibit. And so, Mark... All right, continue, Mr. Jones. On the top of the right-hand fender of the car, I found a lip imprint in red lipstick. I lifted that print with a piece of cellophane tape, then placed the tape on a plain white card, which I have right here with me. Thank you. That's this card to mark the exhibit G. It's all marked. Now, Mr. Jones, these pieces of evidence which you found on the defendant's car... Did you compare them with other objects? I did. Will you please state what comparisons you made and your findings? Well, in the first place, I find that the uh, fabric marks in People's Exhibit C, taken from the bumper of the car, has the same count per inch as the stockings worn by the victim, Sheila Gordon. Secondly, I found the fabric marks shown in People's Exhibit D from the cowling hood of the car to be the same count per inch as the coat Worn by the defendant. I further made a comparison between the lip imprint found on the right fender, as shown in People's Exhibit G, and various exemplars of the victim's lips. She made the exemplars by placing her lips against heavy, stiff white paper. I have those exemplars with me. Yes, David Marks, People's Exhibit H. So, Mark, <laughs> may I ask, how did the lip imprint taken from the defendant's car? compare with these sampled imprints made by the victim's lips? I found that there were 17 points of similarity between the two. These points of similarity consist of various uh, small lines or wrinkles which match identically, as uh, may be seen in the photographs. Jones, do you have an opinion as uh, to the origin of the lip imprint on the defendant's car as shown in People's Exhibit G? I do. What is that opinion? It's my opinion that the lip imprint on the defendant's car, as shown in Exhibit G, was made by the lips of the victim, Sheila Gordon. Now, Mr. Jones, we recognize, of course, that you're a qualified forensic chemist. But are you going to set yourself up as an expert on women's lips, too? <laughs> well, I've done some research in that department, too. <laughs> Mr. Jones, isn't it possible that any number of lip imprints made by different people would look exactly alike? No, it is not possible. There are no two things in the world exactly alike. There are no two sets of 
lip imprints alike. Well, anyone who's been around at all would know that. <laughs> That's all, Mr. Jones. Thank you. The Peter's case, Your Honor. Counsel for the defense? We will not offer any defense at this time, Your Honor. It appears to me that a felony has been committed and reasonable cause to believe that the defendant committed it. The defendant will be held to answer in superior court. Tuesday, November 4th, suspect Ralph Angelo was arraigned in Superior Court, Department 88, and the date of his trial was set for December 1st. During the weeks preceding the set of the trial, we worked with Lee Jones and the district attorney's office preparing the case against Ralph Angelo. Two days before the trial opened, we had a visit from one of the men from the DA's office, a process server. Hi, Bert. Hi. We got trouble. Yeah? Sheila Gordon's disappeared. Wednesday, December 1st, Ralph Angelo's trial opened and Sheila Gordon was called to the stand. She failed to appear. We checked her few known friends in the city. They couldn't help. She had disappeared from her new address and taken everything with her. A bench warrant was issued by Superior Court for Sheila Gordon. The deputy district attorney succeeded in having the court grant a delay in order to find the missing girl, in this case, the complaining witness. Meantime, we got out a local broadcast and an APB. We got missing persons detail to help out in the search. Still no sign. Ralph Angelo's lawyer asked the court for dismissal of the hit-and-run felony case because of Sheila Gordon's failure to appear. On December the 8th, the court ruled on the motion. Regarding the motion by the defense for dismissal of hit-and-run felony charges against Ralph C. Angelo, because of the prosecution's failure to produce the complaining witness to which Sheila R. Gordon... The court feels it would not serve the interests of justice to continue the case. Case dismissed. The search for Sheila Gordon went on. Behind us, we had logged three solid months of police work, checking and running down more than 4,000 cars, hours of labor in the crime lab, more hours pounding the pavement, questioning people, checking, rechecking. Without a trial and a conviction, it didn't mean a thing. Three days before Christmas, we received information that the missing girl was living in a small town south of Los Angeles. Ben and I checked the address. What was the apartment number? 7A1. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll get it. Yeah? Oh, you two. Come in. Come in. Sit down, make yourself at home. I'm sorry the place is such a mess. A little party earlier tonight. It's messed up. What about the trial? Why didn't she show? Come on, sit down. See, I'll tell you what. I'll freshen up a little, put on some makeup. What about the trial? I didn't have anything against the guy. He didn't mean to run me down. You, uh, you wouldn't happen to have a drink on you, would you? You know better than that. Why didn't you show up at the trial? I told you, I didn't have anything against the guy. What was it, a payoff? Look, why don't we go out and get something, then we can come back and have a party. How much did he give you? Fifty dollars. He was awful nice. You agreed not to show in court. I didn't have anything against the guy, that's all. Better get your coat. Why? That's what the court wants to know. You're taking me in. Why? Is there any law against forgiving? Yeah, when you get paid for it. The story you have just heard was true. Only the names were changed to protect the innocent. On February 3rd, trial was held in Superior Court, Department 88, City and County of Los Angeles, State of California. In a moment, the results of that trial. 
It's amazing how many long cigarette smokers are changing to Fatima. Here is the actual report. From coast to coast, king-size Fatima has more than doubled its smokers. Yes, more and more smokers every day are discovering that Fatima is the best of all long cigarettes. Long cigarette smokers find Fatima has a much different, much better flavor and aroma. Long cigarette smokers find that Fatima is extra mild because it's the long cigarette which contains the finest Turkish and domestic tobaccos superbly blended to make it extra mild. So enjoy extra mild Fatima, best of all long cigarettes. It's wise to smoke extra mild Fatima. It's wise to smoke extra mild Fatima. Sheila Gordon was returned to Los Angeles and a new date was set for the trial of Ralph Angelo. Subsequently, he was tried and found guilty as charged. Angelo was also tried, along with Sheila Gordon, for compounding a felony. They were both convicted and received the sentence as prescribed by law. They are now serving their terms in the state penitentiary. You have just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice for Dragnet comes from the office of Chief of Police W.A. Wharton, Los Angeles Police Department. Fatima Cigarettes, the best of all long cigarettes, has brought you Dragnet from Los Angeles. The Halls of Ivy is especially pleasant listening tomorrow on NBC. You post-war old Dutch cleanser, famous for chasing dirt, present... Nick Carter, famous for chasing crime. Every week at this time, two great names are joined as new post-war old Dutch cleanser brings you one of the most resourceful and daring characters in all detective fiction, Nick Carter, Master Detective. Patsy, you're magnificent. Well, thanks. You've just solved the mystery. All we've got to do now is catch the killer. Oh, but how do we do that, Nick? By turning you into a ghost. By turning me into a what? Patsy, I'm going to make you up into the scariest ghost that was ever seen. And tonight, you're going to haunt a chess club. Now for the case of the jeweled queen. Today's adventure starring Lon Clark as Nick Carter... Brought to you by new post-war Old Dutch Cleanser. In his small basement apartment, cluttered with chess books and chess sets, old Jeremy Hawthorne sits over a chessboard and listens absently while two hard-eyed men talk to him. Will you listen to me, Hawthorne? Oh, yes, yes, of course, Mr. He told you his name twice already, pal. This here's my boss, Mr. Monk. Uh, oh, yes, yes, Mr. Monk. I swear if you don't pay attention, I'll... I'll do, Cruz. Okay. Yes, yes. Bishop to queen, bishop four. The only possible move. Unless, uh, knight to rook five. Hawthorne, I got a thousand dollars for you, eh? What's that? Well, a thousand dollars? That woke him up. Look, you remember the old National Chess Club, the old marble mansion on East 20th? Uh, oh, oh, yes, do I not. <laughs> I'm the last surviving member. 
Ah, what great old days we had at the club. Uh, it's been closed now for, let me see... For 40 see. years, and it's been falling to pieces all that time. Yes, yes, that's right. If it hadn't been for that terrible scandal, the club would still Look, be... Look, I'm not interested in the club or its scandals. I'm interested in you. Oh, you're a chess player, Mr... No, no, I'm the guy with a thousand bucks. I'll pay it to you. But, uh, for what? For your right title and interest in the club. <laughs> My dear sir, you're cheating yourself. There isn't anything in the club but old books and old furniture. Hardly worth $50, let alone... Look, I'll pay you $1,000 for everything in the building. Everything that's your property as the last surviving member... All you have to do is sign this release. Oh, Mr. Monk, this is ridiculous. The place is a liability. Look, maybe so, Hawthorne. You just sign the paper and take this $1,000. I'll take the liability. Oh, by the way, Patsy, I haven't asked you to marry me for over two weeks. How about Oh, please, Gubby. Don't you ever get tired of hearing me say no? Why, Patsy, I... Hey, Nick! Nick, stop the car, quick! Stop me, brother. What's the matter? I just remembered something. A murder? Oh, you yelled as though there were ten murders. With arson thrown in. Oh, no, it's nothing like that. I just remembered old man Hawthorne. Hawthorne? Yeah, he lives right here. That basement apartment. Scubby, who, what, and why is old man Hawthorne? He's a guy I play chess with by mail. Oh, now I've heard everything. No, no kidding, Patsy. I'm up to my neck in a red-hot correspondence game with Hawthorne. <laughs> and I just remembered I forgot to mail him my latest move. <laughs> hey, get back in the car, chess champion. We're late for dinner already. I'll lend you a postcard. Well, take a second, Nick. I'll be right back. Oh. <laughs> He'll probably fling open the door and howl, check. <laughs> And scare old man Hawthorne to death. <laughs> oh, um, Patsy, did I ever tell you the story about the man who won a chess game because he couldn't talk cannibal? Uh-uh. Another Nick Carter special on the way. It seems this man was captured by cannibals down in New Guinea. Uh-huh. And while they were boiling the pot... Hey, Nick! This... Hey! But that's Scubby. What's the matter with him? No, it doesn't sound as though he's making a chess move either. Hey, Nick! Nick, you got to come into Hawthorne's place right away. This is awful. What's the matter, Scubby? You need advice on your next move? I'll say I do. Hawthorne's dead. Oh! He's committed suicide. <laughs> Hawthorne's dead, all right. He climbed up on a chair and hanged himself from one of the water pipes. But why, Nick? Scubby says he didn't have a problem in the world. Well, not outside of chess. Well, he just lived for his chess problems. The old guy was happy. He yes. wouldn't... Yes. That's what's bothering me. What? Look at this note Hawthorne apparently left here on the chess table. Neatly printed in ink. I'm 80 years old and I'm tired. Chess is a bore. There's nothing left. Nick... Why did you say Hawthorne apparently left the note? Because the note is printed in ink. So what? Hawthorne's got an ink stain on his forefinger. True enough, Scubby. But tell me this. Where's the ink bottle? The what? The bottle of ink. And the pen Hawthorne used. Or the fountain pen. Oh. Or anything that'll write in ink. Holy smoke, you're right. I've been through this room thoroughly, and there isn't any ink. So how could Hawthorne write that note? Well, maybe there's a pen in his pocket. No, no, I've searched him. There's nothing on it but some small change and a handkerchief. Then he didn't write that note. No, Scubby, he positively did not. 
Some kind friend obligingly wrote that note for Hawthorne with his own pen and then kindly helped Hawthorne commit suicide. What? You mean that someone murdered him? Go to the head of the class, Betsy. But he was harmless. Why would anyone want to kill a nice old man like that? That, Scubby, is what I'd like to find out. So would I. Where do we start? Well, here's the picture as I see it. Someone was here with Hawthorne just before he was murdered. Uh Uh-huh. Someone who had the pen that Hawthorne used to write with. Accounting for the ink stain on the finger. Right. But what did Hawthorne write? Well, certainly not the suicide note. That was written for him after he was killed. Now, when this... Hey, this is interesting. Hmm? What? Here on the floor, under Hawthorne's feet. The rhinestone medallion. See? With a letter M in the center. A medallion with a letter M? Recognize it, Scubby? Sure I do. That's from the club monk. The nightclub on the west side? Yeah. There's a dancer there named Jenny Valentine. She does a solo tap dance and throws these souvenirs to the customers. Oh, but what would an old chess player be doing in a nightclub catching souvenirs? You mean, what would a nightclub dancer be doing in Hawthorne's rooms playing chess? Nick, maybe that medallion's the key to this murder. Could be, Scubby. Hey, look, you kids stand by and wait for Mattie in the homicide squad. Uh Uh-huh. Well, what are you going to do? I'm going down to the monk club and try to catch a souvenir. Mr. Monk? Is what okay? Well, the money I owe you, the five grand. Oh, uh, no. But I I told you how to get the queen, didn't you believe me? Yeah. Well, did you see Hawthorne? Did you buy it from him? Yeah. You owe the club 6,000 now. What do you mean? Now, listen, Sonny. You come here to the club and you drop five grand. You can't pay, so you hand me a story about this this bequest your uncle left to the chess club. Well, it's true. I swear it. The club was closed before they had a chance to find out what he gave them. They never knew what they had. Mr. Monk, that queen is worth $20,000, maybe thirty. Okay. Okay. Well, that was the deal. If, if I steered you into it, you'd cancel the money I owe you. Listen, punk, the word was if. Yes, but you said... Look, I haven't got the queen yet. It cost me another grand already. If I get it, you're clear. Get that through your head, Hopkins. I don't sucker so easy for fancy stories. Well, sure, but after all, I went to... Mom! Mom! Quit yelling, will you? Everybody in the club can hear you. You're making so much noise. Oh, hiya, Jenny. Hello, Hopkins. Hello. Oh, Hoppy. Don't you love me anymore? No. Now, that's a man for you. Chasing after me for three months solid. And all of a sudden, bump. The freeze. Don't be mad at me, Hoppy. You played me for a sucker, Jenny. $5,000 worth of sucker. Why, Hoppy? Go ahead and grin. <laughs> I'm going to the bar, and I hope I never see you again. Darn. <laughs> Monk, baby. Yeah? Get the dope from Hawthorne? Yeah, everything is okay, honey. And we get the clean. Tonight, baby. I'm going over with Cruz. Are you gonna... 
Can you take care of it? Mm-hmm. You just leave that to me, honey. From tomorrow on, it's just going to be you and me and 40 grand. Oh, God, Look, uh, better go up to your dressing room now. Fools may get ideas that we see with you. Say it again. Say it again about you and me, Monk. You and me and 40 grand. Oh, honey. You say the sweetest thing. Smells like a perfume factory. Hope I don't asphyxiate before she's through with her death. Valentine? Yeah. The doorman told me it'd be all right to wait in your dressing room. Hmm. Hmm. You, um, shall we say, uh, an admirer? Perhaps, in a way. Hmm. Very good looking. You, um, like my dance? I haven't seen it, so I wouldn't know. Well, what are you hanging around my dressing room for? Miss Valentine, I'm Nick Carter. The detective? That's right. Now get out of here. I'm not quite ready to leave yet, Miss Valentine. I'd like to ask you about this medallion. Well, what about it? Why'd you give it to Jeremy Hawthorne? Jeremy Hawthorne? Uh, hey, hey, look, I... I throw hundreds of those things around every night, but... How should I know who catches them... Of course, Miss Valentine, but you do know Hawthorne. But I throw... Don't deny it. You showed it on your face when I mentioned his name. Get out of here. I came up here to ask you what you know about a chess player who had the misfortune... Janet Carter, I'll ask the questions around here. Oh, hello, Monk. Do I also say hello to the 45 you're playing with? Make one fancy play, Carter, and you can get intimate with a slug. Don't you knock when you sneak into dressing rooms? A no. Besides, you and I are going to sneak right out. Monk, I think now, look, you... this is my play, Jenny. Let me take it. Okay, okay, now, but listen... Get on your feet, Carter. We're going up to my office. All right. It's nice and soundproof up there. We can play just as rough as you want to. And if you want to play some parlor games, that's all right, too. There's just one game I'm not in the mood for, Monk. Oh, what's that? Two men played with a gun or a rope. It's called Murder. was right in his guess that Hawthorne was known to both Jenny and Monk. We'll see where that leads him in just a moment when we hear what Monk has to tell him in his private soundproof office. Now, back to the case of the Jeweled Queen. Today's adventure with Nick Carter, brought to you by new post-war Old Dutch Cleanser. At the point of a gun, Nick is ushered into Monk's soundproof office on the second floor of the Monk Club, Monk closes the door sharply and... Sit down, Carter. Thanks. Now listen. 
I had trouble with you before. I know you're a smart cookie, and I know you're dangerous. That's why I use a rod when you're around. Put your cards on the table, Monk. Carter, this is one deal that's on the level. What deal? The deal with Hawthorne. Oh? Well, this is very interesting. Go ahead, Monk. Sing your song. Well, a rich kid named Hopkins got in the red for me for five grand. So? So he couldn't pay. And so his old man wouldn't hand over the dough. So Hopkins steers me into a deal to square it. What deal? You going for history, any? I've read a book or two. Well, get a load of this. Back in the 1500s, there was this English queen, Elizabeth. I've heard of her. Well, now, there was a tournament held in her honor once, a kind of uh, joust. Now, Elizabeth was impressed with a way a guy by the name of uh, Sir Charles Blount fought. She was so impressed that she sent him a present the next day. A chess piece. It was a jeweled queen. I think I've read the story. Well, now, according to the books, Essex was so jealous of the gift... He ups and fights a duel with Blount, and afterwards, the chess queen disappeared. So I've heard. Now, Carter, that queen's worth a fortune, and I own it. All legal, all fair, all square. How so? Well, Hopkins' uncle uncovered it 50 years ago. He sent it to the National Chess Club as a bequest, along with some books and stuff. Well? But he died right after that. Then the club went bust before they knew what they owned. That jewel queen is stored away somewhere in the club cellar. And you own it? I do. Mm. I bought it fair and square from the last living club member, old Jeremiah Hawthorne. I got the bill of sale to the club property signed by him this afternoon for a thousand bucks. So that's how he got the ink stain on his finger. What? Uh, nothing. Now, tonight I'm going down to the clubhouse and get what I own. All legal and above board, right? Except for one little detail, Monk. Name it. Somebody murdered Hawthorne. Well, I... Get out of here. It's a dirty double-crossing Hawthorne's been murdered, and he didn't have a thousand dollars on him. I told you to get out. And if you know what's good for you, Carter, don't try to hang this rap on me. I won't have to, Monk. I'll just help you hang it on yourself. Thanks. Don't you like the Monk Club, Mr. Carter? Sure, sure. I like it fine. But I don't like the people in it. Good night. Good night, Mr. Carter. Come again soon. Just a minute. What? Well, Mr. Alfred Cruz, isn't it? How are you, Alfred? Last time we met... Carter, what do you want with Jenny? Take your hand off me, Alfred. What was you doing in Jenny's dressing room? Don't see why that's any of your business? It sure is. She's going to be my wife. Is that so? When? In a couple of months. She's a beautiful kid. Everybody's chasing her. Like that kid Hopkins. Even Monk. I don't want you around her, too. I have no intentions of chasing her, Alfred. Now, will you please get out of my way? You don't bluff me with fancy talk, Carter. I swear I'll break your neck if you go near her. You want a sample? You don't step aside, Alfred. Yeah, I... see how you like this. I really hate to do this, Alfred, but... <laughs> when you get up again, I hope you'll have more sense. Hey, Nick! Nick, come over to your car, quick! What's the matter, Scubby? I was coming down to meet you, and I saw your car just now, and... Well, take a look inside. You don't tell me you've discovered an... Good heavens! Jenny Valentine. Dead! 
First Hawthorne, then Jenny Valentine. Oh, stop pacing, Nick. You're making the office whirl around in circles. Nick, I'm scared. Why'd you bring Jenny back in the car? Why haven't you reported her murder to Maddie? I'm going to just as soon as I figure this out. Oh, but Nick... Maybe I was meant to find her and report it. But she's still out in your car. If anybody finds her... I know, I know, I know. Found it. It was in the back seat with her neck twisted, strangled. It's as though she'd come to the car and was waiting to speak to me after I left the club. Only the killer came along and spoke to her first. Nick, you've got to do something. I know, I know I do. I'm trying to think. Well, my money's on Monk. He's our meat. Maybe. Oh, uh, did Jenny tell you anything that could help? No. Although she was friendly enough till she found out who I was. <laughs> this I already know. How? Oh. oh, I know a clue when I see it. See that big smudge of powder and makeup she left on Nick's sleeve? Powder and makeup on my... Patsy, you're magnificent. You've solved the case. I've solved... You've just told me who murdered Hawthorne and Jenny Valentine. Now all we've got to do is catch him. But, but, but how? By turning you into a ghost. By turning me into a what? Patsy, I'm going to make you up into the scariest ghost that was ever seen. And tonight, you're going to haunt a chess club. <laughs> Hopkins just right, Cruz. And all through this old chess club. Stuff must be stored down in the cellar. Okay, come on. Look, uh, Hawthorne said it's in a big packing case. It's stenciled Hopkins. Yeah. Yes, if the rats ain't ate the print off. <laughs> Well, rats can eat books, but they can't eat golden diamonds. You keep telling yourself. No, no, no. Take it easy. This is the bottom. Hey, flash around your light. Huh. Hey, Mark. Yeah? Over there against the wall. See? On a case. It says Hopkins. Okay, come on. Falling to pieces. Come on, get it open. Easy, Mark. Only take a second. A blue velvet box. That's what the kid said. The size of a cigar box. Keep your shirt. I'll find it if it's here. There it is. Okay. All right, hand it over. What's your hurry? I'm as much interested in what's in here as you are. Look, I got news for you, Cruz. You're not taking it out of here. What? I'm taking the Queen Cruise, and I'm leaving you behind. Why, you dirty... Put away that rod. But Jenny wants it that way, Cruise. It's too bad, pal. Give me the Queen. Dirty double-crossing. You and Jenny ain't gonna cross me up. Mark out. I love it. Cruise, look. At the top of the stairs, Cruise, look. <laughs> Monk and Cruz stand in the depths of the cellar, staring up at the head of the stairs in horror. We'll hear what happens next in just a moment. Now for the conclusion of the case of the Jeweled Queen. Today's adventure with Nick Carter, brought to you by new post-war Old Dutch Cleanser. As Monk and Cruz stand transfixed in the cellar of the National Chess Club... Nick whispers to Patsy, who stands at the head of the stairs in a glowing green drape. And Patsy... Cruz, look! At the top of the stairs, look! It's a dame. She's coming down the stairs. She's coming down towards us. 
Wait a minute, Mark. She, she looks like... Holy smokes, it's Jenny. Hey, for the love of mud, babe, what are you trying to do? Play the phantom of the opera? That ain't Jenny. Sure it is, I can see her face. It can't be a fool. No! Let go of my arm. Stop dying that gun, you crazy. It can't be Jenny. Jenny's dead. She, she's dead? How do you know that, Cruz? Carter. How do you know Jenny's dead? Only the man who killed her could know that. But, but if Jenny's dead, who's this? My assistant, Patsy Bowen, made up to look like Jenny. This bad light, she was able to fool you, just as I planned. Cruz. You killed Jenny. Yeah, wise guy. You thought you was going to cross me up with her, huh? Make a sucker out of me like she made out of Hopkins. Well, I showed you, and I'll show you more. Don't try it, Cruz. It's too late. Don't howl, Alfred. That shot just went through your arm. It'll heal by the time you're due to take 40,000 volts sitting down. That's right, Patsy. The old story of thieves falling out. Huh? What do you mean, Nick? Well, Cruz knew he was being double-crossed by Jenny and Monk, so he decided to return the favor and double-cross them. Oh. Well, is that why he went back and killed Hawthorne after Monk made the deal? Tried to frame Monk by dropping that medallion. Mm Mm-hmm. Then to fix Jenny, he strangled her and left her in my car. And in that way, he figured Monk would take the rap for Hawthorne's murder and Jenny would be dead and both would be out of his way. Exactly. Oh. He'd collect the jewel queen and live happily ever after. Golly. Nick, I still don't understand how I solved the case. Why, Patsy, you did it when you saw that smudge of makeup on my arm. Will you please explain? I most certainly will explain. Patsy, the only person who could have touched me while I was in the monk club, who had makeup on his hand, was Cruz. Remember I told you how he knocked my arm? Yeah, just before you hit him and knocked him down. That's right. He must have smudged my arm with makeup, which means he must have got it on his hands from Jenny's neck. (sighs) Well, I'll be darned. So he had to be the man who strangled her. Yeah, but what about the jewel queen? The jewel queen goes to monk. He bought it legally, so he's entitled to it. Oh, shucks. Oh, don't feel bad, Patsy. If you want one, I'll buy you a dozen tomorrow. A dozen? At the price? Mr. Monk is out $6,000, dear. The velvet box contained one very elaborate chess queen made of wood. Value, about $1.50. And it wasn't the real jewel queen? No, Patsy, it wasn't. Queen Elizabeth's chess piece is still at large, somewhere in the wide, wide world. Well, maybe Cruz will be able to ask Her Majesty where it is. After he sits down in the hot seat. Why, Patsy, that's not a nice thing to imply. It isn't? Why not? Well, I certainly hope good Queen Bess isn't in the same place Cruz is going to. (laughs) Besides, by then it'll be too late to do him any good. It's time you told us something about the adventure that new post-war old Dutch cleanser is going to bring us next week. Right you are, Bob. It's a story which began with the theft of a priceless Egyptian relic from the art museum one night. And during the robbery, the watchman was killed in a strange and mysterious way. Yes, and it took a device which records earthquakes to catch the murderer. Oh, hold on a minute, Nick. I don't get the connection between such a device and an Egyptian relic. <laughs> oh, well, neither did the killer, Bob. Not until it was all over. Uh, what do you call this story, Nick? I call it The Case of the Exploded Alibi. Nick Carter, Master Detective, is presented each week at this time and over these same stations by the Cudahy Packing Company, makers of new post-war Old Dutch Cleanser. 
Carter, Master Detective, produced and directed by Jock McGregor, is copyrighted by Street and Smith Publications Incorporated. Charlotte Manson is featured as Patsy. Today's script was written by Alfred Bester. Original music is played by Henry Silverne. This program is fictional, and any resemblance to actual persons living or dead is purely coincidental. This is Bob Martin saying, when minutes count, use new post-war Old Dutch cleanser. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. That's the case closed for this week. Hope you enjoyed today's episodes. You can find more from Nick Carter, Dragnet, past episodes of Case Closed, all the other podcasts, and thousands of other old-time radio episodes at relicradio.com. You'll also find our Shoutcast stream there. And if you'd like to help support this and all of the shows, visit donate.relicradio.com or click on one of the links on the website. Your support makes it all happen and has for 15 years. Thanks to those who have helped out over those years. Thanks for joining me today. Be back next Wednesday with another episode of Case Closed. Case Closed.